Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we are diving into episode four of the Pride and Prejudice 1995 series. Yes. And we have a very special guest. I'm very excited because this is like a, almost a proper crossover guest. <laughs> <laughs> For real. Uh, <laughs> Pamela Tarajak. <laughs> uh, Hi. Pam- <laughs> Hi. (laughs) Pamela is one of the administrators for the really cool Twin Peaks Facebook group, uh, Twin Peaks Between Two Worlds. Uh, Tell us, Pamela, about your history with David Lynch a little bit and how you got to know him. (laughs) Um, Back in a long time ago, I had heard of a TV series. I actually wrote wrote, wrote an article about this in 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 the Twin Peaks Between Two Worlds blog. So it's a long story, but um, it it <laughs> involves a lot of confusion, really, because I had heard about a TV show that had cool storylines, quirky storylines, and also starred maybe somebody that I had liked to watch, uh, Colleen Marie Combs, who was on who was on Charmed when I was a teenager. The TV show that I thought was Twin Peaks was actually Picket Fences. I never actually began watching Pink Offenses, by the way, but I started watching Twin Peaks because I thought the shows were similar, similar kind of titles, you know, uh-huh. and so I saw it one day and I was totally confused because I had caught the episode that was like the last three episodes of the second season. That was my oh, first wow. introduction to the show. So <laughs> I was confused. Thrown into I didn't know what was going on. And so naturally I needed to find some kind of way of getting into involved in this but I didn't know where so the channel that it was on kept on having marathons every few weeks about this uh-huh. and about the show so I kept on watching and watching and watching and just trying to figure out and piece the pieces together in some kind of hole and by the time I finally got the pieces put together I was hooked so <laughs> it, and then to, to then fast forward to, to today and everything that has happened since. So it was the the initial point point of this whole thing. Very Lynchian, very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> very. So at what, what point did you, are you more of a Twin Peaks fan or more of a David Lynch fan at this point? More, more, twin, I, more Twin Peaks fan, yes, but... It's hard to say that it's not a David Lynch thing too, because there's some movies of his that I really enjoy. There's some movies I, I actually oddly enough hate from him. I <laughs> I, I, I loathe a Razorhead. I loathe uh. a Razorhead. I try to watch it every few years to see if I like it again, but still, it's the same thing. I can't stand it. But there are other <laughs> movies like Mulholland Drive, and I will always love Mulholland Drive. I will always love The Straight Story. I will always love uh, Wild at Heart. But then, you know, those are good ones that for me. Right. Yeah. Um, but, Twin Pe- but I love the Twin Peaks side of things. Yeah. Because I think that Frost balances him. Mm-hmm. I think yes. we need the Frost analysis of, of, of Twin Peaks to kind of give that balance to David's interesting way of taking things. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people discover Twin Peaks and then they're just like, you know, I'm cool with just Twin Peaks. You know, I don't need to <laughs> explore all of the David Lynch side. Well, what about um, Jane Austen? Because you're one of the first people who really seem to get behind our 
um, wanting to mash up the two, <laughs> you know, and find parallels between. So I, uh, when, when did you first start getting into Jane Austen? Well, I have to credit um, the Sense and Sensibility 1995, Emma Thompson, Kate Winslet, so-and-so-and-so-and-so, star-filled production. Uh-huh. Um, I watched that when I was, I would have to say, in my early teens. I don't remember the exact date, and I fell in love with it. And it led me to slowly but surely through, throughout my teenage years explore Austin throughout. And I had found a very antique beat up copy of Pride and Prejudice and I read it. And it's, but it's been a slower process, but I did, discovered Austin very much before I discovered Peaks or, or Lynch or Frost or anything like that. So it was, this, was, this was my teenage years getting involved in it. Mm-hmm. And I, I always find that it's it always, if I can interject here, very interesting that a lot of Austin fans may not want to watch Twin Peaks and a lot of Twin Peaks fans might not want to watch Austin, uh, want to get involved with Austin, but yet they are so similar. They are well, we've so... had a lot of similarities. I this... think both of them are things that people will say, I'm, I'm not interested in that. You know, you know, both Jane Austen and David Lynch, Twin Peaks, I've had people, just friends in life be like, no, I tried it. I'm not interested. You know, it's just like, they're just shut down from it without really like they mm-hmm. snipped a toe in and was like, no, nope, not interested. <laughs> they weren't willing to go past that point. Well, the thing is that the, the themes are completely similar. There's this society that looks perfect over on the, the surface level perfection. We get in Twin Peaks, the double R, we get Twin Peaks, this, this nice, this nice mannerly society where everyone looks, and especially with like blue velvet or something like that, where everybody is uh-huh. waving at each other at the very beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. But then you get this kind of rottenness or not rottenness for, twi- for Jane Lynch or Jane, I mean, Austin, uh-huh. but mm-hmm. this kind of subversiveness underneath. Yes. Because, you know, when you were talking, I, I've only gotten to the first episode. You've only released the first episode of Pride and Breath prejudice but when bingley was talking about how girls can do all this stuff you know all this like make car make cards and paint screens and everything like that and i said yeah but that's all that girls can do (laughs) right no they weren't allowed to get a profession so this is jane austen saying to us you know or in the in the conversation with heart heartfield and heart um well the cat cat, heartfield Hartville and Anne Elliot in, in Persuasion, oh, uh-huh. mm-hmm. how they were talking about the constancy of love and all of this stuff about, you know, women have been always in constant in literature but because always they've been written by men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's this subversiveness in Twin Peaks and <laughs> David Lynch, and there's a subversiveness in Austin that I think is interesting. And there are also very parallel characters, you know? Yes. One of them I will mention, a couple of the, the ones I will mention here will be in my <laughs> notes are like, okay, this this fam- this person is very much like a Twin Peaks character. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, when we started the podcast, one of the sex or one of the like segments that we wanted to do was called Under the Surface, but we kind of just incorporated that into our recaps and stuff. So we never had a formal segment for it, but I find that both of them, yeah, are very like what's under the surface of what is being presented on top. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, I'm very excited to get into this episode with you. I was re-watching it earlier today, and I'm still amazed by the fact that I've seen this a bajillion times, and I've probably watched it three <laughs> times this week already, and I still 
find moments to just crack up. I'm like, look at this, <laughs> look at that random little thing that mm-hmm. I'm sure I've noticed before, but you know, always makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes me laugh, but it also makes me, it gave me some new, because I like you probably are is, is used to watch used to watch this all in the background. So I've never really sat down and actually watched it, watched it in years. So to do a proper analysis was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know that we do proper analysis, but well, you know, like, <laughs> if you join us on rewatching the Twin Peaks in Between Two world, Worlds group, you'll understand how what I mean by analysis because you'll be amazed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go ahead and get into our first impressions. I'm very interested in what you were, what you thought, Christian. <laughs> yeah, I was um, really excited to start this episode because um, based on like the little thumbnail of the preview for it, it was going to be the pivotal like lake scene. And mm-hmm. I knew based on the movie we, we had watched uh, last year, I think that we were going to get the tour of Pemberley Manor and we we're going to get kind of like these pivotal moments in uh, Pride and Prejudice where things start to change. And it was r- probably like the most beautiful episode that we've had so far i really enjoyed all the landscape we were getting and Which i kind of it, do considering how yeah. beautiful it's been up until this point <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> so this was kind of like somehow a step up from that and i just kind of really enjoyed seeing lizzie going through these changes i feel like you could definitely see it on her face that she, mm-hmm. the way she's thought up until this point is completely different than the way she's going to start thinking going forward yes. about everyone yeah because i was talking in the last episode which pamela you haven't got to hear yet but how the last episode was kind of a transitional episode for elizabeth in which she starts off you know willing to just like you know gossip and get angry about stuff but by the end of that episode it's like you know, the things that used to be really important to her aren't as important and she's not willing to get as emotionally invested in like being angry at stuff. And you can really Mm -hmm. see that in this episode when she's dealing with like Lady Catherine and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, what about you, Pamela? I don't know if you, I mean, I find it hard every week to say what my first impression of watching it is, but you can tell us your most recent impression if you prefer. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to do my most recent impression because like I said, (laughs) 500 the the fifth viewing turns into the 15th viewing for this one exactly (laughs) and especially since you watch it in the background you know you don't often think about it but my impression was it was probably the most darcy-centric episode so oddly enough you guys focused on elizabeth but i was so focused on the fact that this was darcy finally revealing his feelings darcy finally revealing who he is right we get to see his home we get to see this we get to see a lot of his life yeah. And you know how you were talking about in the first episode of Shot, you, which you, know, you just released, how you kept on saying Mariah, you know, during yes. the whole first, of the first episode. I always, I was mentioning like, oh, poor introverted bunny, because he was this, he has to reveal himself to the whole world now. And this mm-hmm. poor introverted bunny of Darcy has to do this. <laughs> yeah, he does. He has a very big change throughout this episode as well, because in the last episode, you could really, I mean, actually, we get the whole letter in this one. So you can see mm, throughout the course of the letter, him being like, I'm pissed, Elizabeth. And then like, well, 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 maybe it's this, you know, and then by the time they meet again, they're like different people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, I found the fencing scene so interesting, just <laughs> him trying to kind of work through 
his rejection and his, I would say probably obsession with Lizzie because he clearly is a rejection that's not going to let him get over it. And so he's trying to work through it. And it seems like by the time he runs into her, he's like, well, it seems like fate is taking hold. (laughs) I'm just going to give in. Yeah. Yeah, So we have been commenting on his need to immerse himself in water whenever he's overwhelmed by (laughs) Elizabeth. And this is the ultimate... Yeah, yeah. It's, it is. It's the ultimate episode of him doing that, and especially since it's the most iconic scene in any Austin film right. or adaptation. <laughs> I think there is actually, so I think there is actually a statue in that was at Hyde Park in like 2013 or something like that. Wow, it actually showed <laughs> him emerging from the water in this like 20 or 30 foot statue. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You look it up. The Darcy wet the Darcy statue in Hyde Park. Look it up sometime. It is amazing. <laughs> Someday, awesome. if we can ever afford it, we are definitely going to go visit all of the Jane Austen places and Excite. all of the Twin Peaks <laughs> David Lynch places. Yeah. <laughs> uh for me, uh okay, of course, can't do a first impression. <laughs> I just I was just laughing so much at this episode. I mean, Mariah is adorable and Darcy was cracking me up when, you know, like just it's all the minutest expressions because they're just such a great actors on this. Mm-hmm. And I do love this one because it's such a transitional episode, like to start with the letter and you know, mm-hmm. what headspace they were all in when we left to and to end with them meeting up again at Netherfield. Mm-hmm. It feels like you know, this one feels like the most time gets condensed into yeah. one episode. <laughs> oh, but yeah. We really are only concerned with. <laughs> what we see, so. Right. Yeah, it, I, I was struck during my whole rewatch about how often I keep on, I was thinking, this does end in, because when I watch the, this, this one, I don't watch in episodes. I don't think in terms mm-hmm. of episodes. Of I just put it on. If I have Bidget. a six hour block to kill or I need to do something <laughs> in the background, I'll do it. And I just realized it does end and begin in, in really interesting places, like episode two ending at the, the Collins rejection. Mm-hmm. And I said, mm-hmm. it, it personally, it, as a criticism, would be not my area of cutting it in because I would say that the best cut would be the uh, Bingley's Departing from Netherfield. That's, mm-hmm. That is such a, an ending point. Whereas Collins, it seems like they're making a mountain out of a molehill with this with this one yeah, as, end, as an ending point. I'm not sure if it's because we're so, I mean, because Lizzie is our protagonist, we want to end on her major moments. And, <laughs> you know, so maybe that's it. I remember when we did the 2005 version, we got to the halfway point and it was right near the Collins proposal. It was either right mm-hmm. before it or right after it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I almost feel like the them all leaving from Netherfield is almost underplayed a little bit in this mm-hmm. version because it's uh-huh. just yeah. like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's <laughs> just like even a letter. happened <laughs> until it's practically over. So Right. <laughs> Well, should we do a few notes? Sure. Well, I don't have anything written down, but I will off the top of my head try to remember. It's so weird because I know I watched that documentary, but they were talking about how 
all of the buildings that they use, like all of the mm-hmm. big houses, are all part of this National Trust heritage site where mm-hmm. sites in which because the basically after right after Jane Austen's time, the aristocracy stopped being and I guess if you ever watch Downton Abbey, you can see that in mm-hmm. that but most of the aristocracy stopped being able to afford these big estates which is why they started to go down and the merchant class started to go up. And so like almost all of them are no longer lived in, at least by their, you know, um, families, I guess, ancestors. Yeah, by the original owner, yeah, their ancestors. So they have like this trust, this heritage trust that's basically there to make them make money, but, you know, and not Mm -hmm. destroy them. So they, I guess (laughs) probably the majority of it is, to television productions and stuff, you can definitely see a lot of the houses in different Jane Austen adaptations. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Pimberly here is Pimberly here. And <laughs> even down to like, you know, the uh, uh, Longbourn. That's where the Bennets live, right? Longbourn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, it's a smaller estate. And I just thought it was really interesting that they have that in England. And I'd love to go and explore all of the... All of this is estates. I don't know if you're if you can if they have them as like, you know, if you're allowed to tour Pemberley. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they have like bookings or something that you could book like a group tour or something because I feel like they would also be able to make money off of that. I mean, like, what else would you use it for? Yeah, and actually, the what Pemberley was based on, and I remember talking about this the la- during the last Pride and Prejudice. And Jane Austen actually toured this one estate. I can't remember what it's called now, but we definitely mentioned it in the 2005 version. And it's assumed that Pemberley is based on that estate that Jane Austen actually toured, like, you know, Elizabeth did. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) sorry, I didn't have any really, I'm sure I have it written down. I just can't find any of the stuff I'm looking for. That's fine. You know, we're good. We're going to have a lot to talk about. I was saying, it's a (laughs) jam-packed recap. (laughs) Short on notes is okay because this is a long episode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So let's just go ahead and get into the recap then. Perfect. Good. So we start Darcy storming out of the house, Elizabeth pacing the parlor with tears of frustration because of we just saw the proposal scene. And they're both recounting in their heads the previous conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Darcy goes back to Rosings and he apologizes, but he simply cannot be in company at the moment. He <laughs> must write a letter. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing that I liked in this part is that we kind of have a interesting inversion of Lizzie and Darcy's natural states, because mm-hmm. in we always see Darcy kind of inside the house, even though we see him riding his horse and we see him uh, doing things outdoors, like shoot, like going shooting, but he's mostly an indoors type of person. Mm-hmm. And then, but Lizzie's always walking outside and doing things outside, you know, the six inches deep in mud, you know, so <laughs> right. seeing yeah, Darcy special. having to deal with walking back to Rosings in this state and he is outside having to deal with it in Lizzie's natural 
domain mm-hmm. and then having Lizzie have to pace back and forth in, in Hunsford to say, I can't stand it, is, is her in the domestic sphere. Yeah. You know, this, this domestic sphere that, that Darcy is so much more used to. Yeah. And actually, I know in the book, there's a lot more of them like meeting on the grounds accidentally, not accidentally. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I'm sure for him, going back through all that is even more, you know, with all the history that's not actually in this mm-hmm. version, but definitely. And I love Jennifer Ely's acting during that scene, mm-hmm. just the mm-hmm. tears of like frustration. You, you know, I just could feel what she was feeling so <laughs> oh yeah being closed in almost she feels like she's now trapped there's a trap well, yeah yeah it. like a it's just like you just can't control it when you're like angry but you're just mm-hmm. you don't know what's just happened you just had a big mm-hmm. fight right. and i will say judging by what happens later on when i was watching because the last episode we were asking i was supposing that maybe mr lucas was upstairs because we hadn't seen him leave for rosings but I'm pretty sure he already left to go home because yeah. he's not with them when they go home so I always have to make a correction the next time. <laughs> so we start hearing Darcy recount this letter that he's writing. And I know this monologue really well because I did a video project with a bunch of troll dolls and oh, the, right. was Darcy and he recited this as a monologue. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. In this version, which is not the same as the book, he starts by explaining the Wickham situation because it's clearly what is affecting him the most. We actually kind of pull away into a flashback and we see them as boys fishing. We see them in their college hats. Yeah. <laughs> what you call those academic hats? Waterboards. <laughs> oh, there you go. Oh. <laughs> and we find out that Wickham has always been a rake. I think he's the dumbest villain in this, in this interpretation of, of Wickham. He is the most dumbest villain because he took a girl back to the rooms he shares with Darcy, for goodness sakes. Right. <laughs> Not I mean, the smartest. I, come on. <laughs> I mean, at least we have, in, in the interpretations that Christian has read or mm-hmm. watched so far, you know, we have Thorpe, who is, he's he's blathering, but he's not an idiot. You know, he right. and, and William also <laughs> might disagree. He's <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> not an idiot in the way that Wickham's an idiot. You know, well, I think Wickham just has, I mean, he's just got like that. Nobody know, cares. What you call it that like, he just doesn't feel like anything can touch him. It feels like to yeah. me. And he's like, his charm will get him through. He, it always has before. And without, you know, older Mr. Darcy to care, mm-hmm. you know, what he's doing, then I think he probably feels pretty. Teflon. Yeah. But he's definitely a rake. We see him with another girl. Although I do have to admit that during the scene when he was, well, I say Colin Firth has pretty handwriting. If this is actually him writing that. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. I was saying, that is gorgeous handwriting. I I, mean, I love my, I love good penmanship. I, I pride myself on my good penmanship. And I said, that is pretty handwriting. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Like I would think Darcy class. would have good handwriting. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, Christian, I talked right over you. <laughs> No, I was just saying, I would love to take a calligraphy class like that. It was so pretty. We see Darcy write him a check so that he can study law. Wink, wink. (laughs) (laughs) On his way out, though, he kisses the hand of Miss Georgiana, Amelia Fox. Love her. (laughs) (laughs) She's great. And then we're back to Darcy brooding over the next part of the letter. We see Georgiana watching the sea. I'm like, is she a... uh, 
Lyme, Lyme Regis? Well, England is an island nation, so there's yeah, a lot there's of coastline plenty. there. Yeah. <laughs> They're probably somewhere much fancier than Lyme. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I really like being able to see all of this in flashback. It's just, you know, something exactly. we only get told in letters, so it's really nice to be able to see it. As soon as Darcy gets there, Georgiana spills immediately. <laughs> She's like, I can't keep a secret from you, brother. I don't even think she knows that what she's doing is wrong. And, and, you know? and it's, it and it's like horrible it. for Wickham, too, because Wickham is is almost, I, I, I would hate to use the word, but almost incestuous because she was, they were raised together. That is yeah, but nobody cares about that in yeah. Regency England. That's true. Just crazy. Like, like, there's this, there's like, he's almost like your brother and this is almost like your sister mm-hmm. for goodness sakes. I know nobody yeah. cared about it because married cousins for goodness sakes. Right. So the, my, my, oddly enough, my modern sensibilities kind of kicked in and the fact that, you know, the Twin Peaks side of things kind of kicked in, you know, <laughs> that, that made it a little uncomfortable. <laughs> oh yeah. It's almost like this, these flashbacks really give a sense of how predatory Wickham is. Mm-hmm. She, he looks like, kinda... she looks like a little girl. I'm, I'm sorry, Christian, but she looks like a little girl. Really. Yeah, she is. <laughs> she's 15 yeah, years old. She's 15. <laughs> it's so crazy, and especially because truly looking like a little girl. Not yeah. 15 year olds can look mature. 15, you know. Yeah, right. She looks like a little girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we've seen so many instances in this version of these very like old military personnel with these very young wives who look like they're maybe 17 or 18 it's so just like you said modern sensibilities are like this makes me feel weird I don't know (laughs) yeah and I wonder if Jane Austen was trying to like subtly say something about that because there's a lot of dealing with age differences in this one and like sometimes it's okay sometimes it's not and I think maybe she was trying to you know just I don't know if she's making a specific point but she's just pointing out you know some of just the the fact of it (laughs) That it like when people read this in 200 years, what will they think? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, we also hear a fox cry in this scene. Always got to point out when I hear a fox cry. I was wondering what that was. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what that was. I was like, it sounds crazy. Oh, that's a hauntedness to this thing. You know, we're, we're visiting the ghosts of the past, you know, yep. how that's we're visiting Darcy's ghosts. And mm-hmm. now we're having this box in the background and it feels like you're you're almost Northanger abbing it a little bit with the, yeah. the hauntedness of the of the scene. <laughs> I love that. Every English thing I watch though, I'm like, oh fox, oh peacock. <laughs> <laughs> One of these animals. Especially if it's spooky on the moors mm-hmm. or something. You always get them. Mm-hmm. Well, the foxes at least. The peacocks are more for fancy people. Um, okay, so <laughs> I guess Darcy writes through the night and then he has to splash some water on his face. (laughs) It's always got to be wet. It's the only cure for thoughts of Elizabeth. (laughs) (laughs) Then he puts out a candle with his fingers, which feels very like, "Ah!" (laughs) you know, like just, I don't even care. Taking out my frustration. Like that kind of style in a movie anyway, when you get to, uh, when a a person snaffles a candle with their fingers, it always feels kind of, Mm -hmm. yeah. I hate to use, I don't know how much you would like the word badass, but badass. I was literally oh, yeah. just thinking badass. Badass, <laughs> broody. <laughs> it's, I feel it's interesting because because we start with this part of the letter and we see the, the, the flashbacks, we don't really get to see Elizabeth's reaction to this. I'm, we get to see it after the fact, like what she's thought of it, but we don't mm-hmm. really see her reacting to this. And it's actually the second half of the letter, but 
so many broken quills in Darcy's house. <laughs> so <laughs> we're back to the parsonage and Lizzie refuses breakfast while everyone I has a mouthful. I laugh at this scene. This is the scene, one of the scenes that made me laugh because Mr. Collins has his mouth full of food and yet he is still making noises when he eats so he can't shut up. Yes, he he is literally stop. the kind of person that cannot <laughs> shut up because he's making noises when he eats. I think mm. Elizabeth timed it perfect. You know like when you go to a restaurant and the waiter always comes to ask you what you need when you have food in your mouth? I feel like she was like Okay, take a bite. Now I'm going to walk in, say I can't stay. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> so I don't have to talk. <laughs> also, Mariah had her mouth full. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just love Mariah. <laughs> okay, so I have to say it every episode. Well, because she's true to herself. She's yeah. a very she's much a true to herself. She is, she's the kind of person that, you know, we see the, the other girls her age in, the, in, this, in this book. We see Lydia, who wants to grow up too fast. Kitty, mm-hmm. who wants to grow up too fast. We see Georgiana, who it has to be polished every minute of the day because she's a Darcy. And then Mariah is of the same age, and she is just uh, doesn't care that she's a girl. She's so naive yeah. and young, and young, you know, and she just... doesn't. And she will grow up slowly. She doesn't care about growing up too fast. She will right. grow up slowly. And I don't. And I think, in a way, the Lucases take things easy in a way that the I think. The stresses on the Bennett family of getting the girls married is not exactly present in the Lucas mm-hmm. family, where yeah. they are, you know, we had to have, you know, uh, Charlotte marrying Colin so that way she can get married at some point in her life. But at the same point, yeah, right. it wasn't like <laughs> Mr. Uh, Sir Willie, Sir, uh, Sir uh, Mr. Lucas, uh, Sir William, I'm sorry, is stressing this or his lady stressing this you know right. you don't see charlotte or mariah stressing about this right 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 right. right. yes yes uh it's funny because i've been doing a lot of the lucases for our deep dives and i'm like when we get to the book we're definitely gonna have to reevaluate because a lot of the stuff i'm reading about like the couple lines here and there that are describing them makes me think maybe in the book mr lucas is a little more like i mean they like I don't know, maybe he's a little more snobby, but according to this adaptation, we're just going by what this adaptation is yeah. showing us. And they are, right. he's very like, you know, happy-go-lucky. He doesn't seem to put a lot of stress. We don't even see Mrs. Lucas, I don't think, at any point. Or Lady Lucas. I don't Lucas. think so. <laughs> no, I will say it is kind of fun to see Mariah enjoy all like the, just how amazed she is about everything, about Rosings and how big it is and how many times they went to dinner and how she should pick her, uh, pack her dresses. And it's just like, it's nice to see her in contrast to like, like we said, Lydia and then Kitty who want to grow up so fast and all they think about is boys. And it's just, yeah. it's nice to have this kind of more innocent, like younger figure who we kind of like, let, like let the steam out and just like not really have to worry about yeah. this character. <laughs> okay, so Lizzie goes out. She sets off on her, her favorite thing, a run. <laughs> she sees Darcy in the woods and tries to run away from him, but he's basically only out there to see her. So he goes up, gives her the letter and leaves. And I guess you do get a second of Elizabeth remembering Wickham. Mm -hmm. But then we get the real BS. (laughs) Because (laughs) we start the letter with Darcy explaining how and why he split up Bingley and Jane. And Elizabeth is pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Rightfully so. (laughs) 
she is right from her point of view, but from an outsider's point of view, I see Darcy's side too, because in a mm-hmm. way, he's right. You know, Jane is too reserved. Well, Lydia is, yeah, there is, there is. His perception. Yeah, his, his perception of Could be considered is, correct, but I don't yeah. think he's right. <laughs> Just because he doesn't really know them. And he, I feel like he get well, now I'm going to analyze, but <laughs> when they're all at the Netherfield dance, that is when Elizabeth first kind of, you know, rejects. Well, they have the dance, but she's obviously like, you know, not into him. And that is when he decides, oh, no, Bingley and her are not together. Her family sucks. I think it's because his pride is or whatever, you know, maybe not pride, but mm-hmm. his feelings are kind of like. Elizabeth doesn't like me. And that's when he decides, oh, well, Jane is too reserved. And oh, Elizabeth's family. I mean, maybe he always thought that. But like, I think that's when it like really solidifies as, you know, this is my justification. So Elizabeth goes back and Mariah is waiting. (laughs) (laughs) And she's impressed that Colonel Fitzwilliam waited over half an hour for Elizabeth to return. (laughs) And Elizabeth is just livid. <laughs> Mariah watches Elizabeth storm into her room. And then she reads on. Darcy digs his pit a little bit deeper <laughs> with how the rest of her family sucks. <laughs> and you can't see her acknowledging that they are embarrassing. And like, oh, they are embarrassing. Like, they did, they weren't great. And But if you think back on all the previous dances, and they were they were behaving exactly the same. Every single time it wasn't like at that dance. (laughs) And that is true that Darcy only sees the external about what's happening on the surface of the Bennett family. But at the same time, you also see, yeah, I I always feel sorry in in later retellings. I always feel it kind of slowly but surely becoming a little bit more sympathetic to Mrs. Bennett. Oh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. he has to be father and mother to the children, to the girls. Yeah. Because in many ways, Mr. Bennett closes himself up in his office, doesn't really care about the girls, just has his wine, has his books, and everything's fine. And then it's Mrs. Bennett who has to keep on saying, network with us, please. You know, go and network. <laughs> right. You know, right. Go and do the things that you're supposed to do so you can, we can get the daughters married. Because you well, know daughters. She's outright rude to Darcy many times. So if he's going to be annoyed with her family, I wouldn't be surprised that it was (laughs) Mrs. Bennett. This is one of my favorite parts. One of my favorite lines is when she's like, I'm sure you do not blame yourself, hateful man. And then he's like, I do want to acknowledge that I did one thing wrong. And she goes, astonish me. I always love that. She says, astonish me. I like how they're talking back to each other. She's talking back to him while the letter is going. Yeah, they do a really good job with the letter because like the second half of Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice is a lot of letters. (laughs) I mean, when you study at school, it's like all about letter writing. And it's kind of hard to make that be entertaining. Segments, little tiny, tiny, digestible segments. Yeah, it's it's hard to do that for film. Mm -hmm. Okay, then... Yeah, he kept Bingley away from Jane in London, <sighs> which is not nice. <laughs> okay, so. No. <laughs> Elizabeth is summoned to wait upon Lady Catherine. <laughs> um, I think this is their last time. Mm-hmm. Yes. She seems to be 
have been asking them over a lot more since Elizabeth has arrived. And I said, mm-hmm. is she secretly in love with Lizzie? <laughs> <laughs> or she could secretly know that she's a very good person at reading people and manipulating them. You know, mm-hmm. I, another, like I said, Twin Peaks comparison here. This is the <laughs> one I said, Catherine, Catherine, uh, Lady Catherine DeBorah, Lady uh, Catherine Martell, anybody? Yeah, I always love yes. that comparison. And uh, because they're, she's, they're, they're both very good at reading people and, and manipulating them to do whatever they want to. I mean, Catherine Martell is good at dangling Pete off that, off that little, that, those little <laughs> yep. rings that he, she has put him on. Yeah. And she may see the fact that at the first time when Darcy and her were conversing by the piano saying, maybe I need to keep an eye on this lower class woman so she doesn't steal my nephew away from the intended marriage of of, mm. her, of him with Anne. You yeah. know, just, just kind of keeping an eye and making sure that I dig her a little bit in front of my nephew to make sure that he is enforced how inappropriate <laughs> this match is. I do agree. But she starts with Elizabeth before Darcy ever shows up. So mm-hmm. I don't know how she would know that beforehand. But I think once Darcy comes, she's definitely like, like giving everybody the side eye. But I also think that she is kind of so snobby that maybe she wouldn't even think that like she would kind of dismiss that as a possibility. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to say, really. I don't know if you've ever seen the 1940s version of Pride and Prejudice. But, yeah, I uh, <laughs> uh, Well, I, <laughs> Lady Catherine has a weird turn in that that always gives me like, I always want to think of Lady Catherine differently because of that version. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... Yeah, so, but I I was like, maybe she secretly, like, thinks of her kind of being like her, or maybe she wants her to be a Mm -hmm. friend to her daughter. I don't know, but there's something about her that is like, I don't like you, but I want you around so I can figure it out. (laughs) Well, I wonder if maybe she's, like, a little perplexed about how Lizzie feels so freely to talk how she feels and to kind of state what's on her mind. And she's like, it's so what she's not used to considering her position and the people she surrounds herself with. So maybe she's like, I want to see maybe, maybe it was a more of a, like, I want to see how much more I can prod her mm. to see what she's going to say, almost like entertainment in a way. That's true. And actually I was remembering, I think Lady Catherine does make a comment in the book about how she doesn't believe in entailments and she's mm-hmm. kind of, she thinks it's, you know, stupid to entail away estates from the daughters. So I don't know, maybe there is something a little deeper to Lady Catherine, you know, when it comes to Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Although I did like in that scene, I do have to mention that scene, that mm-hmm. when Paul has put his hands on his lips saying, you know, I better <laughs> shut up. When, when yeah. <laughs> it says, I was saying, I, everything about Mr. Collins, the studied humility with pomposity. He always wants to say, look at me, I'm humble. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it just, and that just drives me like, Okay, you're not humble. <laughs> you're a proud person. Just, just, just learn how to deal with that. <laughs> right. But it's funny because I don't think Lady Catherine really liked him that much because she only invited him over like three times before, mm-hmm. you know, before this. anyone else came. Yeah, and now it's like everyday occurrence. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, while this is while she's talking to Elizabeth, Mariah is shocked by Elizabeth's contradicting her. And Mm -hmm. because she wants them to stay a little longer or kind of implies that she does. And she's like, oh, and Elizabeth, you know, 
she's talking about getting a servant and Elizabeth's like, oh, my uncle has a person. She's like, oh, you have a rich uncle. You know, she seems a little surprised (laughs) by that. Yes, two rich uncles. Yeah. And she doesn't seem that concerned that he's in trade. You know, she doesn't say anything Mm -hmm. about it. She's like, oh, your uncle's rich enough. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Maybe she sees the tide turning in society, Uh you know? Mm hmm. But Elizabeth is just too discombobulated to be annoyed by Lady Catherine. She doesn't uh-huh. rise to her bait right. at all. She's just very like, no, I can't stay. We're going to go. Bye. <laughs> you know, she's not, mm-hmm. she's not heated at all. We go back and we see Mariah redoing her packing based on Lady Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth is assuring her that she does not have to. <laughs> no one will ever know. <laughs> right. And as they're leaving, Collins has this creepy love wave to Charlotte, who kind of, I almost see her like <laughs> smiling at his silliness, like, you know, you know, I don't know. There's just like a slight smile that comes over and I'm like, she maybe kind of like, she's like, you're so stupid, but I like you. you yeah. Know? Yeah. Very ridiculous. <laughs> and I felt like she was thinking, you're going to be in the garden as soon as anything. Please leave me alone. <laughs> she's going to send well, him back out to tend to his bees. Sometimes what happens in those, in those, arranged marriages for all intents and purposes this one is an arranged marriage Mm -hmm. there isn't a companionship that kind of grows and i think maybe that might be the sign of the companionship growing between the two of them so maybe maybe their marriage won't be so miserable after all and that's that's there's a hope there's a hope (laughs) you know yeah Charlotte does not deserve a horrible marriage uh you know yeah i know she's introvert she likes to be in her own room her everything's fine you know and but still you kind of want her to have some kind of companionship at the end of her life Definitely. and it, it, and it, if it has to be with collins you know it's not the worst choice <laughs> yeah and, there, and there's a practicality to charlotte you know i i was looking at charlotte and i said if i was to cast this and i would say she would have been a good um the person who was playing her could play, be a really good catherine hepburn like purses she has has Hepburn mm-hmm. she does. yeah, yeah. And, and Catherine Hepburn always played these very practical women mm-hmm. <laughs> well Charlotte's so, nothing if not practical <laughs> yeah and Charlotte's right. nothing but practical like, there's a Hepburn-esque quality to her that is kind of cool because That's I always cool. love Catherine Hepburn <laughs> yeah I was just say like and also we get the impression based on Mr. Collins's comment to Lizzie about how it seems like him and Charlotte are made for each other and if I got the impression that he was kind of just realizing this now himself, and it maybe was kind of like, they're both coming to this point, like you said, companionship, where they're kind of like, oh, we actually don't mind spending time with each other. It's not like we're going to have to develop like this intense schedule that we see Charlotte kind of have set. And maybe the relationship's going to ease out more and they're going to kind of balance each yeah. other out. But it was yeah. nice to see that. <laughs> I think she's just kind of maybe like, you know, how people's little quirks and silliness, you can be like, okay, there's nothing nefarious about you. You're not, you know, trying to be a bad person in any way. So yeah, okay, your little smiles, you're funny. Yes. <laughs> say, at worst, he's just silly. <laughs> Elizabeth kind of has the fight knocked out of her. She's not being a pushover or anything. She just seems to not be able to be bothered by the things that would have previously bothered her. Mm-hmm. On the way home, Mariah is recounting her diary of the last few days for Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is looks like she's thinking, if I'd kept a diary, I'd now have to burn it for fear of anyone finding out. <laughs> 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 and they're in a carriage with other people who are just also giving Mariah like 
the side eye. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that guy was just like, okay, I, why do I have to be stuck with these two girls? <laughs> yes. The woman next to me is like, I have the worst travel agent in the yeah. world. <laughs> you know, I know there was no such thing as travel agents back then, but still, you know. It's like getting the 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 middle seat between on like an airplane between like the yeah. two worst people, like a crying baby <laughs> and someone falling asleep on you. Every time I see people on a carriage ride, I think just like how seasick I would be from that. And mm-hmm. I'm always afraid that it's going to fall over and everyone's going to get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they get to... It's not Meriton. I can't remember where they said it was, but uh, they get to wherever they're changing carriages and Lydia and Kitty are waiting for them. <laughs> they ordered lunch, but already spent the money to pay for it on an ugly bonnet that they're going to rip to pieces. <laughs> but they are so full of news because the regiment is going to Brighton. And <laughs> Lydia is just... I had to laugh at that part too because... <laughs> Lydia is so self-centered. I mean, oh, her yes. heart is more important than that <laughs> matters of national security. Because there yeah. is still a war on, you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 From Elba or St. Helena, whichever island he was on at, this, at any moment. <laughs> you have to have a good army here, people. Yeah. And Lydia, right. you know. <laughs> no. Why are they leaving me? Is her, is her uh, yeah. request. <laughs> yeah. And they they shoot the servant out of the room, and he looks like, darn it, I really wanted to hear this gossip. <laughs> right. He's like, all right. Uh, but they say, Mary King, or Wickham is now safe from Mary King, but Elizabeth thinks that Mary King is now safe from Wickham. Mm-hmm. Thank Mariah goodness. just seems confused. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then Lydia and Kitty fight all the rest of the way home. <laughs> of course. <laughs> when she said... Fire that she knew, she's like it's gonna be so much fun for us all to ride together i was like lizzie was gonna be so upset that they came to meet her because like, it was gonna be fighting she wishes she had little airpods and she could be listening to yes. her music <laughs> okay so back at home elizabeth tells jane about the proposal i wish we could have actually seen her telling her we just see her after the fact her, her telling her jane she's worried that jane will blame her for refusing darcy and Jane is finding it hard to believe that Wickham could be so bad. He seems so nice. <laughs> oh, Jane. It was so funny that she made that comment because even earlier when Lizzie is telling her about all the stuff that Wickham told her about Darcy, she's like, you know, like, don't be so quick to yeah, to think that his, like, you know, he's only black hearted or that's all the only side to him. And now she's yeah. like, I can't believe it. It's like, I know. She just oh, Jane. wants to think the best of everyone. <laughs> She's too nice. It's an Austin trope, isn't it? There's always going to be one character in almost every one of her books who thinks the best of somebody. Always will right. think the best. You know? I don't think anyone is as good as Jane, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's so That's pure of heart. But... <laughs> She's, the, She's the apex of that trope yes. in Austin. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth. Okay, uh, Elizabeth does seem truly upset, and she. I think if anybody else, if this had been any other person's situation, she would definitely be laughing at it. You know, like mm-hmm. when it was Mr. Collins, she would have laughed at it. But she wants to know if they should tell on Wickham to the family at least, and they both agree no. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then later we see them eating with the family. Elizabeth thinks it's best that the militia have left. 
Papa refuses to take the family on a vacation to Brighton, and Mary is <laughs> fine with staying home. <laughs> <laughs> she just, as long as she has her piano, she's good. <laughs> There's not to be any sea bathing for anyone, and Lydia whines epically, but I want to go to Brighton! <laughs> and I was saying to myself, if I was your fa- father or mother, and I, I probably would have raised the girls differently, trust me. But yeah. I, I was saying, looking at the scene and saying, he would not even be out of that house after that temper tantrum. That's a two-year-old temper tantrum, my dear. <laughs> right. He would be still inside this house for a week after that kind of temper tantrum. He yeah. deserve to go to the balls at, at the yeah. assembly rooms after that. You know? Right. Like she's Mrs. Bennett's favorite, and Mr. Mm-hmm. Bennett is like, has abrogated, has I can't deal with women before. and their craziness anymore. And then I wrote, these girls spend a lot of time picking flowers because <laughs> they're mm-hmm. out in the garden picking flowers again. Jane so, is, oh. If I'm not mistaken, those that was lavender and maybe uh, uh, the, the daisies or it could be mm-hmm. um, chamomile. So maybe they were making oh, like yeah. bees oh. or something with it because that was. That'd be so much yeah. fun. Yeah, we definitely commented on the lavender one of the episodes. Yeah, like she had a tough Lavender was I also had some curative purposes too for like cleansing, you know, for cleansing yeah. of wounds and such. So it is yeah. some cleansing so and cool. aseptic properties. Yes, yes. Yeah, I always feel for like the heartbroken and the yearning in Jane Austen when people are just, anytime mm-hmm. someone, I just feel it so much when Jane Austen writes it. Like, you know, I'm thinking Mansfield Park Fanny the whole time is just like yearning for Edmund the whole time. And I'm always like, I just feel for you, girl. Um. <laughs> I feel for Jane in this scene. Because yeah, I definitely I, feel for Jane. I, she, always, she says, I shall be myself again. I should be well. I should be myself again. I kept, I kept thinking, besides Bingley, who hurt your heart that much? Right. Because there well, had to be someone that hurt besides, besides well, Bingley. Because we know she's liked many a stupider person. <laughs> Yeah, and like her heart has been hurt so many times that she now feels like every time she feels emotion, she's not herself. And she has to be. She doesn't want to put her pain on her family and have Mm -hmm. them feel sorry for her. So Mm -hmm. she's trying to keep it all to herself, but, you know, she can't because she just spent weeks in London with Bingley right down the street, not speaking to her. And she's still like, right. I just, of all the people I've ever met, I still like him. And I really thought he liked me too. <laughs> yeah. So, and then we get to see Mama being upset for her. And she's like, no one wants him to come home about Bingley. <laughs> I do kind of appreciate her like mama bear attitude. Oh, yeah. Because I don't feel like we get to see that a lot from her because most of her interactions with Lizzie are her being frustrated with Lizzie. And yeah. so it's really nice to see her like just have this kind of really caring attitude towards Jane and not like, you know, quote unquote, scolding her for like, you know, losing a man or whatever. It was just really sweet. Yeah. And she's pissed at Bingley which is appropriate. She says, my comfort is she will die of a broken heart and then he will be sorry. (laughs) (laughs) At that point, I was like, well, wait a minute. (laughs) Maybe we should calm down. Uh, She's such a grown-up idiot. She's Mm -hmm. also pissed at the Collinses. (laughs) Of course. Of course. And then we have Lydia running up excited because she has had an invitation to Brighton and Kitty is seething. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Lydia does have faith that Papa won't stop her going. 
Uh, she was as special after all. <laughs> Not misplaced. Then we see Elizabeth pacing in front of her father. And he's like, but she'll never shut up about it if we don't let her go. <laughs> right. I totally like, I saw obviously saw both sides of this conversation because yeah. I was like, Lydia is too too much of a wild child to be let out for basically on her own. And, yes, but I also I feel like how much torture would it be to like hear about her complaining about this for weeks oh and God. weeks? A hundred percent. I would have <sighs> let her go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let her go. You have like, no Bye, Lydia. <laughs> it was, it was interesting how he says though, is Colonel Foster is a sensible man. And I was saying, essentially a child. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. who's, and who, who, who you're placing in, she is going to be the guardian of your daughter now. And mm-hmm. huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I think he's trying to talk himself into the fact that this might be a good thing, but it's not. And, yeah. I'm, and for yeah. listeners, I'm doing air quotes here. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if we've already seen it or if it's coming up, but there's a part where Wickham and Colonel Foster, I don't think it's come up yet, maybe. Well, they're at a party before they're going. And Colonel Foster is mm-hmm. like, we got to keep the women happy, right, Wickham? And I was like, oh, oh yeah. Uh, I remember that. You're not. Well, he's like <laughs> Colonel Foster is also the one who we noticeably pointed out who had a noticeably younger wife. He he yes. looks like he's in his 50s or 60s and she looks like she's a fresh 17. So 15. and the whole... <laughs> Yeah, and the whole uh, interaction with her, with uh, Lydia getting this letter, it felt very much to me like when you were younger and you would um, you would want to like spend the night at your friend's house, but you were like, oh, like, I'm going to have my friend ask my mom so that it's not as easy <laughs> yeah. to say no. It felt yeah. very that to me. <laughs> yeah. I could totally see Lydia setting this up. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that is the next scene. Um, oh, I, I didn't say that. Papa reassures Elizabeth that people will not think less of her because she has a silly sister and he thinks it's going to all turn out well. And then we go to the party where Lydia and Mrs. Forrester are giggling like little girls. It's so weird to hear her called Mrs. Forrester when she's like so, so young. young. Yeah. Colonel, uh, yeah, Colonel Forrester already clearly set a standard that these grown men now think it's fine to go after the youngest available eligible woman mm-hmm. that they can find. Wickham tries to give a little bash Darcy a little and Elizabeth just shuts it down. (laughs) I think it's also interesting that he mentions that she has, she mentions Colonel Fitzwilliam to him because then Wickham hesitates trying to think. And I think he's trying to think of some kind of slander or libel against, you know, Colonel Fitzwilliam trying to think, I have to think of something bad for him, but he's impossibly Colonel Fitzwilliam is such a sweet man anyway. But if you think of something bad about him, it's, kind of like you if you met him <laughs> right it's, it's like what's wrong with you something bad about him. <laughs> yeah so is the name i'm wondering if the name drop was a test on lizzie's part oh i'm sure and noticing yeah and noticing that he hesitated mm-hmm. is the same thing as like yeah he's going he was, he was about ready to lie to me yeah because you can see yeah. him thinking like it almost kind of looks like he's going I don't really know him that well. I don't know, you know, but... How am I going to spin this for me? Yeah. <laughs> and he's couldn't. wondering, does she right. know? Does she know? Does she know? <laughs> would Colonel... F- or would he have told her... Fitzwilliam, would he have told her anything? Okay, so... <laughs> one of my favorite. Lydia's leaving and she almost kills herself getting into the carriage. <laughs> and Kitty is like, I wish you would. <laughs> <laughs> I was like... 
Sorry for oh, foreshadowing. Right a little bit, little bit sorry for Kitty because. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. I feel sorry for Kitty. Go, she should go along with her sister, too. It just she feels should like... be pissed. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah. is two years older. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, she's not the biggest flirt in marriage. And so, <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> right. Um... I, I like it when she's like, it would be such a joke if I fell on my head. And she and I was did think of persuasion. And <laughs> yeah. Kitty is like, I wish you would. <laughs> <laughs> and her and Mrs. Bennett cry for different reasons. Papa rubs a little salt in the wound and heads to his library. <laughs> he says something very cruel, except to each of his daughters, I think, I think except except for Lizzie. He says something very cruel to each one of them. And I kind of feel like that's a little, a little mean-spirited. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely you could read it that way. I, I think he's trying to lighten the situation, but being that he just, doesn't really take that much interest in how women feel. I don't think he really mm. understands quite how to do it, but he's just trying to like, you know, yeah. make a joke and just like be like, oh, it's, it's not that big a deal. It's very much that, <laughs> yeah, it's very much that dad thing where you're like, it's wrong place, wrong time. Like this is not the place yeah. to make that comment. But it's also like, what's so interesting about this version and about the 2005 version is the difference that I'm seeing in Mr. Bennett. In the 2005, mm. he seems more caring. He seems like, more invested yeah it's like you know you can't help but be like oh like you know sweet old man but and this one he seems much more like disinterested maybe he's just like i don't understand the women in my family and i'm not even going to make an effort to yeah well in the book they are they don't have a really happy marriage and he Mm -hmm. is very concerned that lizzie marry someone that she respects because he felt that he didn't marry someone he respected so Mm. I, I, the 2005 one I do love that portrayal and it's a really interesting way to look at uh-huh. it but I don't think it's as accurate to the book but I I, right. I love this little uh, Mr. Ben I just mm-hmm. <laughs> fills me with there are, yeah there are things about this one he's so I think he's a little bit funnier in this version um, in some moments um, but he is also a little harsher yes definitely which is unfortunate yeah especially like with Mary, like at the dance when she's playing yeah. the piano. Yeah, it was, was so embarrassing. Yeah. And I'm, what was interesting was when Darcy pointed that out, like even your father sometimes, and even he, it felt like he was acknowledging, like that was really embarrassing for Mary and almost like he felt bad for Mary, which is maybe he sees right. a little bit of himself <laughs> in Mary. <laughs> a little awkward. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't think Darcy but, felt um, sorry for Mary, but I could see. Yeah, I would like to think. Feeling like that Mary. was, you know, not appropriate. Yeah. Uh, but maybe he did. Maybe he does connect with Mary. I could be wrong about that. I could be wrong about anything. <laughs> <laughs> then the gardeners arrive. Four kids and two adults crammed into a carriage. But you can tell Ugh. that they are more well off because they have a pretty nice carriage. And the children seem <laughs> much more behaved and not as screamy as yes. you would think. Yes. <laughs> the the uh, gardeners have a loving marriage and they have this, this yeah. another Twin Peaks comparison here. Mm-hmm. Gardeners, the Briggses. Oh, I thought you were gonna say the Haywards. <laughs> no, the Briggses. I think the Briggses have a happier marriage than the than the Haywards. There's an article on that one. But I, <laughs> I could totally marriage. see that. Yeah, yeah because, they're because they have the, the marriage of two mo- of this of, of, of very similar minds, and I think that mm-hmm. the Briggses and the Gardeners are very similar in how they love each other and how they raise their children to be not only respectful but also good. People. Yeah. yeah, there's more stability. Well, I hope that their son doesn't turn out like Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> there's 
Bobby's they're, they're special. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully there's no uh, Laura around too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay, so yeah, the gardeners come. They have to inform Lizzie that the trip they're taking is going to be shortened. Instead of going to the lakes, they will now be touring the peaks. I was like, I want to tour both of those. <laughs> yeah, I was like, either or, please. And they're off in an open carriage drawn by four white horses. <laughs> so fancy. I've never been so interested in the carriages until this watch. <laughs> I yeah. was drawn by the quote, by the by what the gardeners were saying in this scene because again, my lunch training. Trying to take anything repeated is very important. Mm -hmm. Um, There is wild and tame beauty, nature and culture and beauty, nature and artifice. So that is like almost bing, bing, bing. These 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 lines are repeated in succession of each other, and in a way, we see Darcy and Lizzie in the next few scenes acting themselves around each other. Their natures Mm -hmm. are coming further out. The Lizzie and Darcy showing each other what they're really like and also the fact that this is Pemberley and this is Darcy nature culture and beauty are the th- are, are that that is that is his house mm-hmm. and that is him very interesting mm-hmm. oh, yeah. it just it, that that kind of it made me it, it, it perked my ears up to the point where yeah I got to pay attention to this line and seeing how that the Pemberley is so nat- nature culture and beauty and Darcy is nature, culture, beauty. Right. And I was it Northing or Abbey where we were talking about, like, at the time, there was this big, uh, feet, like, um, artistic movement almost within the culture about nature and what is mm-hmm. um, real yeah. and how we set it up to look yeah. like it's natural but it's not really we're hiding all the ugly parts and yeah that's really interesting i bet there's a really cool jess article about <laughs> nature <laughs> and artifice sure. and <laughs> oh uh they're gonna be next door to pemberley <laughs> interesting <laughs> he was like great <laughs> and this is where we see darcy at fencing practice <laughs> It's very Andrew Davies, male being males. <laughs> he has very masculine energy. <laughs> he just can't fence Elizabeth out of his mind, though. <laughs> <laughs> they go to the peaks. Uh, she's getting a little too close to the edge for her aunt's liking. It's very beautiful. I feel that because every time I go to North Carolina and go in the mountains, anytime anyone gets anywhere close to the edge, I'm like, no! It's not as bad when I'm that close, but when other people are close, I'm afraid they're going to fall over all the time. <laughs> um, I'm thinking back to how um, you were saying how we're this like nature, how we're seeing Darcy kind of eventually in his like element and the true side of him. And it almost feels like Lizzie going through because she's so like outside nature oriented that her exploring the fields and the peaks and everything feels like she's also returning kind of towards that like her more natural state, which kind of sets up perfectly for when they meet that they're both kind of mm-hmm. like fully back yeah. almost. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And they're both in their element at that point. He's at home yeah. and she's outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Soaking wet. <laughs> 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 so Aunt Gardner wants to tour Pemberley. She's like, the grounds are too nice to pass up and supposedly the family is away. So Elizabeth's like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I like how she had to check like five or six times. She what she needed to ask, like, is he is he gone? Is he yeah. gone? Are you sure? Is he gone? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, 
I know more time has passed than what we're seeing, but it's it within the course of this episode was when she was like, I hate you and never want to see you again. To now being right. like, oh, I've really thought about this a lot since your letter. <laughs> <laughs> so they head over. The estate is so large that Elizabeth cracks a joke about, are we ever going to get there? <laughs> <laughs> but when they get to the house, Elizabeth just stares like she's fallen in love. <laughs> <laughs> she really likes it. The gardeners at that point start sharing looks like, like this is hmm. where they're like something more is going on here definitely i've been listening to reclaiming jane there they've been doing the book and mm-hmm. they I, I can't remember exactly where it came from but i know that they are, were convinced that aunt gardner n- knew what was going on <laughs> for a long time mm-hmm. so maybe that's i could see it I mean, yeah. I, I always wonder, like, especially with Lady Catherine, like, you know, these they're very wealthy. They have probably these little birds everywhere that, quote unquote, report back to them. So I wonder how much more they know than they're obviously going to be let on, even if it's just like a little bit like, oh, I think there might be something between these two. I think Jane just, like light gossip. Even yeah. well, I mean, unintentionally. Considering that she asked so many times <laughs> if they're going to be there, <laughs> I'm sure her aunt was like, why do you care so much? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so they go on the tour with the housekeeper, and Elizabeth is like, "This could have been mine." That's crazy. <laughs> no, it's interesting. I, I was reading an article. I don't remember what I was before when you asked me to, you know, appear on this. I decided to read a couple of articles about about uh, the at this adaptation specifically, mm-hmm. and one of them said it was interesting that. They were using that the letter at the time when in the scene when uh, Darcy was giving the letter to, uh, to uh, Wickham in that one scene is the ye- same yellow office that uh, that was Mrs. Darcy's favorite. So hmm. it's the same office. So it's like almost like a nod to the fact that he was he close to his father, but he was also close to his mother using his mother's office as his office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Wow. We were just talking about her because she's the sister of Lady Catherine and Colonel Fitzwilliam's father was their sibling. But I would have, I would love to, you know, I know it's never going to happen because this book was written hundreds of years ago, but (laughs) (laughs) I would have loved like a, um, I I bet there is one, a adaptation or a variation uh, that showed Darcy's mother. You know, mm-hmm. that would have been, and Darcy's father. I'm very interested in both of them. Okay, so they all are looking, they all look at this little miniature of Wickham, which looks nothing like him. Nothing like him. The, the Darcy <laughs> ones look like Darcy, but the Wickham one does not look like him at all. <laughs> the housekeeper says that he turned out very wild indeed. <laughs> and then she's like, ooh, do you know the master? And she said, he's the kindest, handsomest man, and the best landlord, and the best master, and he's not proud. He's just not a rattle. <laughs> She's like, who I is this, this person? I think this is also a, an interesting scene with because we see how good of a man Darcy is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, we only see him through Elizabeth's eyes, but now we see him through his servant's eyes. Mm-hmm. And with the way that Darcy has acted beforehand, you kind of feel like he's this monster of a ma- of a landlord monster of a, of a master but seeing all of his servants love him seeing the house well cared for seeing georgiana still get gifts from her brother mm. is selling him as this kind generous man and it also is interesting that 
in the because this is when he mentions that she's just turned 16 and she was 15 when when Wickham did the you know did the whole seduction so this has only Mm -hmm. been a year yeah since this event has happened and which is probably why he reacts so like uh when it comes to the wickham part of her refusal of him like that's what bothers it's a fresh wound it's a fresh wound but also in this society what strikes me as interesting about darcy is this in society the society they did a lot of victim blaming which we will see in later episodes i'm not going to reveal a lot of what's going to be happening with with things because christian i don't know how far you've gotten with the series mm-hmm. but there's a lot of victim blaming and you know he never blames his sister he always he still lavishes things on her he still gives mm-hmm. things to her and he's still kind to her he doesn't victim blame her at all and right. he is he's it's always going to be wickham's fault because wickham is the guy he knew he should have known better my sister is never going my sister is still my beloved sister i will always love her and i think that was something we we get revealed about him in this scene and so wonderful how mm-hmm. we see this this kind of not so society driven man not, not society driven but rules driven man of the mm-hmm. of the societal rules at the time mm-hmm. yeah 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 definitely okay sorry <laughs> we see darcy riding in on horseback and he's like I know it will cure me of Elizabeth thoughts. A good dunking. (laughs) (laughs) More water. He has to remove about four layers of clothes. And then he (laughs) dives in. And I said, I always wanted a pond that I could dive into. (laughs) (laughs) But then, you know, I think about flesh-eating bacteria. And actually, Colin Firth wasn't allowed to dive into the actual pond because of (laughs) flesh-eating bacteria. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, we have some of that in Florida. But I think they have it. In England, too, especially in like the ponds and stuff. And then Darcy, now all wet, runs straight into Elizabeth. <laughs> and... Well, I have to notice something funny though in this scene is when is the fact that he is being escorted back by, with a groom with the in it. And in mm-hmm. fact, is he didn't have a groom beforehand. So I kind of feel like in, in my head canon now, there's the groom just happens upon him and says, what in the world is the master doing today? This is not like him. <laughs> and then he goes back to the servants' quarters or this downstairs areas and say, you won't believe what I saw the master doing. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, well, maybe he hasn't done it in a or while, but gossip. I bet as a boy, he was diving into those pots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I believe... I didn't get a chance to watch the old hour-long special feature yet, but I'm pretty sure in that one, they say that in this scene, they're directed to both act like they were naked, mm-hmm. or at least Darcy was naked. Well, he was. Essentially, well, yeah. I mean, I like, you yeah. know, like, naked, naked. Yeah, but <laughs> That's why they're both, like, not looking at see- each other. <laughs> I have a special interest in historical clothing. One of my things mm-hmm. I love reading about and watching videos about on YouTube is historical clothing. Uh-huh. And for all intents and purposes, in Regency era, he was naked because the shirt was the first and only that was like underwear. That, that oh, yeah. was, he was in his underwear at this point. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, the <laughs> fact that he was showing up in his underwear to see Elizabeth and then Elizabeth catches him in his underwear is very telling. Yeah. 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 It brought me back to that, that scene in Sanditon where Charlotte comes across, um, but. Oh gosh, yeah, <laughs> where, he's, uh, where he's very naked because they went diving. Yes. But it's, it was, it, yeah, but then it made me also think like in Sanditon, it was so normal for the men to be completely naked. And when they went into the water and the women mm-hmm. were, then it was kind of like, this, like, ooh, 
<laughs> yeah, they had to wear like bathing gowns. And it just was yeah. so interesting that, you know, the yeah. whole idea of running into the naked and and like the whole bearing their soul. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, because I know, I know we talked about the written, like the erection that was written into the previous yeah. scene. So I don't know if that was also part of the direction of this, but. I think it was, I read the Maybe. the nudity <laughs> comment be... was like, pretend yeah. you're actually fully, like act like, you you know, he's fully naked because essentially he kind of was. <laughs> yeah, because you could see her like look him up and down and be like, nope, okay, nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on above? Okay, so there's they do a little small talk. He leaves abruptly. Elizabeth is like, I got to get out of here. I got to go, got to go. <laughs> Darcy goes to Going put crazy. on clothes and runs out like he puts on clothes and runs out to stop her from running away i said these two (laughs) this was another one of my times when i marked poor little awkward introverted bunny yeah (laughs) uh uh, he smiles at her oh his smile at her her embarrassment it's all just too cute to bear (laughs) Mm -hmm, i said i love them (laughs) (laughs) i'm like now they i ship them so hard Meanwhile, the gardeners are in the back going, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Darcy invites them to go fish in a stream or insists that he's introduced to them and invites them to go fish in a stream. And he's like, come now, I'll show you. And everyone is reevaluating their previous assumptions. <laughs> <laughs> Darcy walks right next to her. And I wrote, this is like the hottest part. Even though nothing yes. is really happening except them walking together and talking about introductions to Georgiana. I wrote, I feel you, Darcy. <laughs> <laughs> and then they leave and Elizabeth turns away to watch as they go. I liked this part too because he always he asked her, Is it okay if you meet my sister? Is it okay that this happens? Is it okay that we do this? And it's like almost he's always asking for consent for this. Every everything he wants to do with her right now. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. He learned his lesson. <laughs> yeah, um, that's interesting because I uh, that you bring that up because I yeah, I noticed that, too. And because like a lot of times it's always the men are like, you must do this or you must do that. And he's always mm-hmm. like gently asking her, like treating her with care rather than kind mm-hmm. of going at her as like maybe another suitor would. Um, and it's very different almost, than his yeah. proposal. <laughs> yeah, very different than his proposal. And it's almost like, you know, we talked about Lizzie having these like preconceived set notions of who people are and their first impressions are always who they're going to be mm-hmm. and how she's basically throughout the entire book learning like people who are not who they seem. And she's mm-hmm. really like, this is the most like in your face version of it. Yeah, yeah. They're just so... I can just feel there. It's so awkward and sweet. So much and tension and love. And yeah. Just, oh, I love it so much. <laughs> it's a good one. All right. Well, what was your favorite part? <laughs> oh, gosh. I think my favorite part was the just like when they meet up with Lydia and Kitty when they're trading carriages <laughs> and just the whole ridiculousness of like gossiping sisters. And it's just like, it's really sweet and funny and especially when they get back into the carriage to go home and of course Lydia and Kitty are just fighting the whole way home because why would anything be different with them oh my gosh I will say that Mariah you know she's been my secret like favorite 
um, extra character. But now that she kind of doesn't come back, Kitty is now from this point on becomes my favorite extra. Like (laughs) I love her in that part, and I love her crying Mm -hmm. and being like, "I hate you." (laughs) It's not. I hope you fall on your head. And she has some other choice moments coming up. But uh, Pamela, what's your favorite part? My favorite part was actually just this, the final few scenes of this thing. Uh, mm-hmm. When Darcy runs out of the house, it just seems like at that point, he knows her well enough that he knows he's got to hurry. He knows yeah. she's leaving. He knows he's not, <laughs> not going to stay around this house long enough. He knows he, he this, but at this point, I think he knows her. And yeah. I just, the sweetness of that thing to see him excited about something like that, to see him be a little bit more loose at that moment with with his emotions and saying, okay, I got to hurry out. I've got to get myself dressed right now, get back outside so I could get catch her before she leaves. And that was like, oh, so sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great to see them both like yielding to each other. Like they're mm-hmm. non-combative anymore and they're both getting into each other's ways. And mm-hmm. that's what makes it work yeah. so perfect. Yeah, and it really is, you know, it's because we have a little more trials coming up. So it's nice to have this moment where you're like, oh, my gosh, they really like each other. (laughs) (laughs) And you just want them to get together so bad. Mm -hmm. I I think the end is probably my favorite part, too. But uh, I'm trying to see what other part I can pick because it's already been big. I mean, I do. I just love Mariah <laughs> and mm-hmm. I would be sad that she's not in it as much because I do feel like she loves Elizabeth. <laughs> this, this is the time where I'm like, Mariah loves Elizabeth. Lady Catherine secretly loves Elizabeth and Darcy <laughs> definitely loves Elizabeth. Everyone's in love with Elizabeth. <laughs> I just, this is such a great episode. It really runs the gamut of all of the mm-hmm. emotions and mm-hmm. it's, it's just so fun. <laughs> Should we do the deep dive? Sure. Okay. Well, okay. I know you wanted to do Darcy and I really feel like we have to save him for the book. But if you want to talk about him some, we can go ahead and do that here. Uh, But I think we should do Mariah Lucas for our um, sorting because this is her best. Just talk about him just a little bit because like I said, I have thoughts on Twin Peaks analysis for him. Yes. Because I always felt like he, he and Albert would be bosom friends. You know, they, they would be twin souls. <laughs> yeah. Him and Albert are twin souls. But I think in a way that he, even though they'd be twin souls, I think that his favorite Twin Peaks character would be Dale Cooper because Dale Cooper would remind him of Bingley. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like that. And then his favorite movie, if I had to give it to any, anything, is probably Mulholland Drive, even though Christian has not seen it yet. But Maya, you may have. <laughs> Because it's it just so class. That movie is the classiest of of, of, um, of Lynch's works. and has this classiness to it. And I think he would like the classy aspect of that film. You're probably right about that. I was trying to think because I feel like Darcy, I feel like he'd be attracted to a vulnerable woman, which David mm-hmm. Lynch is always putting in all of his films. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with his you know, feelings of brotherly affection towards Georgiana, I mm-hmm. think. And, you know, with his admiration of Elizabeth and, you know, I just feel like he's he's a 
he's a lover of women and David Lynch is a lover of women. So I feel like he might really get down with a lot of David Lynch, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he would be too, you know, above it or like, oh, it's yeah. it's too violent for me. I think he'd be able to hang with it. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, was there any other Darcy stuff that you wanted to talk about? That, that was basically it because I had those Twin Peaks comparisons I want to kind of put in. <laughs> yeah. I was afraid if we did a true deep dive on him that it would be like half an hour more. Yeah. He's and such and a honestly, character. I don't know too much about D&D or, uh, or <laughs> astrology to even compare, to even um, <laughs> get involved with even the Mariah Lucas comparison because <laughs> that's not my area of knowledge. So. Uh-huh. So frankly, the only thing I really wanted to talk about was my Lynch comparisons with Darcy because those had those were like so forefronted in my brain. Yeah, and like every time I read, ever since I became a Lynch fan, and then also at the same time a Lynch, a Austin devotee, I keep on saying, you know, Darcy is Albert, and Albert is Darcy. <laughs> they do <laughs> yes. both have that like come across with a really gruff mm-hmm. exterior, but heart of gold type mm-hmm. characters. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. I love that comparison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, my, I, and my Twin Speaks friends who are listening right now are probably laughing the fact that I got Albert involved in this conversation because <laughs> you don't know, but I am absolutely in love with Albert in the series. So, oh, I love Albert. I think yeah. he's so funny so, and so great. I am in love with Albert. Not just <laughs> love him, I am in love with him. So. I'm pretty sure that Albert and Pete were my favorite characters when mm-hmm. I watched it as like a 15-year-old or 13. I don't even know how old it was. 12-year-old? <laughs> Whenever I watched it, when it came out. It was definitely Pete and Albert who were my favorites. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, but Mariah Lucas, because this is yeah, her you best have, yeah. adaptation, yeah. and I love her, and this is, like, one of her last episodes. I did look her up a little. There's obviously not that much. She's described in the book as good-humored girl, but as empty-headed. <laughs> Although I think that... Because I read that as like on the fandom wiki or whatever. And then I was looking up something else and it had the expanded quote about Mariah. And -hmm. I think there's a little more. So it's not so much like, oh, she's empty headed. But I think it's like in comparison to her father. I also found this really cool article that I did not quote or write down anything about on Jazda about card games in Jane Austen and how the different games of cards that the people prefer and how they play it means different things to the societal Mm. stuff. And I was like, I barely ever noticed them playing cards. I mean, I know they do, but I've never paid attention to the rules or what they're playing, you know, except for maybe a little at Mansfield Park. But I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, because the card games they play, because the card games they play now at those days were not the card games we play today. You know, there's no poker. There's no gin. There's no rummy. (laughs) We're we're used to gin rummy. We're used to like the poker and things like that. And they have whist. And what is truly the rules of whist? You know, I don't know. But Lady <laughs> Catherine. That's the thing. You know, we don't know the rules of those. <laughs> the only thing I remember is that Lady Catherine preferred a certain kind of game that was more. It was an older game. It was mm-hmm. one that she played really well, and so she basically just monologued through the whole thing and told people how they were playing wrong the whole time. And I was like, <laughs> I've never noticed that. <laughs> I have to go back, and we'll have to use that sometime for a deep dive because it's really oh, interesting. Yeah. That's cool. But when we're reading the book, because no adaptation has ever tried to care about that very much. <laughs> I would like to see the adaptation that really cares about cards the most. <laughs> Every scene is a card game. <laughs> uh, she's actually not mentioned in the book prior to Charlotte's marriage, mm-hmm. supposedly. 
some people tend to think that that means that she was not out because we were talking last week about whether she was out or not. Mm -hmm. But other people argue that based on the timeline of events that she was. And in the novel, Kitty and Mariah seem to be friends. Kitty actually near the end makes a special trip to go see her. And when the quarantine first happened, I can't remember what it was called, but I was, I don't know if you remember, I was getting, there was somebody who was doing a, Pride and Prejudice in time of quarantine or something. Oh, it was yeah. like quarantine or plague came to the Pride and Prejudice world and she was she wrote like a new thing every day. And my favorite parts were Kitty and Mariah. They like had this secret relationship or something. And I was like, I am living for this Kitty Mariah fanfic. <laughs> <laughs> Stripping them hard. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, so for Mariah, for sorting, where do we even start with her? Okay. She's definitely not an air sign. <laughs> we can start there. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Not my area. <laughs> well, we always break it down. Air signs are intellectually based. You know, they're more mm-hmm. thought based. Mm-hmm. Water signs are more emotional based. Fire signs are like a more passionate. You know, they have a drive. And earth signs can be more Rocket. hard workers. But there's a lot of variation. But I don't think that she... I don't think she's an air sign. She doesn't seem to be a deep no. thinker or a thinker. <laughs> no, she's still kind of figuring herself out. So it's like she doesn't really have those traits. With your bare description, yet. it seems like with your bare description, it seems like water, maybe. Yeah, I was thinking maybe mm-hmm. fire, just because she seems kind of impulsive and she definitely seems a little oh, bit I like, like that too. You know, passionate for Elizabeth, and you always see her like mm-hmm. she's ready to jump into a dance at any moment. She's just like ready yeah. to be on the precipice of adventure. Mm-hmm. And she always seemed to kind of match Mr. Collins's frantic energy. And I think always think of his like quote unquote passion for <laughs> Lady Catherine and being yeah. <laughs> and following her rules. And she always kind of immediately gave into that. Yeah, I wonder if she could be an Aries. I could see that. I like Aries. I don't know. I I don't know. I feel like if she is an Aries, then she's probably like an Aries Taurus cusp because Taurus is more she's... of a like, just loving, I'm going to be cool where I am. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not... Yeah, she, she's not as like headstrong as like I would think an Aries is or... Yeah, Taurus can be considered headstrong yeah. too, but I just feel like she's a combination maybe of fire and earth like... Mm-hmm. she's not as Aries as some people would say Elizabeth is an Aries, but mm-hmm. she's still young. So it's hard to say. She's still forming her like yeah. her true self in a way. Yeah. But I would think if Elizabeth is an Aries, then Mariah wants to be an Aries. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I will make myself somehow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, did you have, so does that sound good? <laughs> Aries Taurus? Yeah, I was, I, I think that's probably the best because she's not really like, in her like final, you could say like her final form yet. Like she's still figuring herself out. Yeah. So I like the 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 balance of those two. Aries yeah. And Aries is actually the first sign of the zodiac, so it tends to be like the most. I guess you could almost consider it like the youngest sign in a way. Like mm-hmm. it's the most like bright eyed and bushy tailed. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like that's her to a T. Yeah. Okay. Well. D and D. I mean, well, she's lawful, lawful good. good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she doesn't I really have a bad bone. I know very little about it, but as much as I know, yeah, that would fit. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> she I doesn't mean, have maybe a bad bone. When she her. gets older, she'll become a little more neutral. But for now, mm. 
she just wants to do what she's supposed to do and be right. the best girl she can be. <laughs> right. Yeah. Lawful good is perfect. And then in terms of David Lynch, I don't think she'd be allowed to watch David Lynch's straight <laughs> Probably, story. <laughs> I would say, I think straight story is probably our closest. Uh... <laughs> but she probably would sneak down at night and watch around the corner when she's supposed to be asleep <laughs> and go, yeah. I'm having nightmares. Um... <laughs> I think that if she, when she gets to be a teenager, she'd be so, so tempted to watch Wild at Heart though. Mm. She'd yeah. be like, she, that, that would be her, like, can I figure out a way to watch this movie? Because this sounds just something I'd love to watch because totally. of all the teenage energy of it. And then yeah. I think in many ways, her and Kitty. Gersten Hayward would be her, like her, because Gersten Hayward is very much, you know, that girlish mm-hmm. sensibility. Well, she is our most crossover. <laughs> I mean, Alicia Witt is our most crossover because she's That's been true. in a Austin uh-huh. adaptation. But she does feel like the most Austin-esque character just because she plays piano, you know. We yeah. never see her in the dark side of things. Well, we, well, well you haven't gotten there. But yeah. <laughs> I do like that comparison, though. Yeah. And in a way, I think both of the younger Hayward girls always looked up to Laura. Yeah. Now, there, there's always like, there's always like this, even though they respected their sister Donna, they looked up to laura you know yeah. the whole yeah. poem that harriet gives to laura <laughs> is like I, I i kind of idol worship this 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 friend of my sister's yeah. so yeah. in a way that mariah lucas kind of idol worships elizabeth yeah yeah definitely i like mm-hmm. it okay so she's most like gerson she would secretly watch wild at heart with kitty <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and they would totally romanticize like the the you know the wildness of that passion. Yeah, like, oh, I want a relationship Slumber like that. Party. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, <sighs> final thoughts. I mean, we we could do final thoughts on this episode, especially since Pamela is here. <laughs> yeah, it's such a pivotal episode. I, I don't know. I really enjoyed this episode. I'm really enjoying seeing the relationship between Lizzie and Darcy kind of blooming because it seemed, it felt in this adaptation more natural than in the movie, the 2005 movie. It felt more natural the way they came together and they're kind of like allowing parts of themselves to be more vulnerable and kind of accepting those parts of themselves and just figuring each other out. And I just really am enjoying seeing where it's going to go from here. Yeah, because they can breathe a little more than yeah. you know, in a two-hour movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What about I, you, Pamela? <laughs> I love. I just feel like this is the episode where you feel like things are just on the cusp of everything coming together. Yeah, mm-hmm. everything Definitely. feels like it's. I know that I, I know you've watched the 2005, so you kind of know the general plotline, Christian. Yeah, so that everything feels like it's coming together, but. It, then yeah, it's not There's going to be the yeah, right. Wow, <laughs> and right. you know, it, this feels like oh, the the the, the red herring episode in a way, mm. you know, yeah, the red herring about how everything is going nicely. Yeah, what do you call yeah. it in like um film or um story writing? It's like the calm before the storm or exactly. the like yeah. before the storm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I and I do like the fact that we get to see both Lizzie and uh, Darcy in their true natures, 
you know, we get to mm-hmm. see their, more of them. Yes. Not, not the social pretense of what they've been trying to fight against for the past two or three episodes. Yeah. You get to see them strip, just uh, not using the word stripping down because of the, the wet Darcy scene, but um, right. stripped down to their <laughs> essentials, you know? Right. Yeah. No, double and I like the <laughs> Yeah. No double entendre invented. <laughs> I also really enjoy like the calmness in this version of, because we're not surrounded by like a bunch of people or like we're not at a ball. We're not surrounded by loud people. It's just like four of them all together. There's no like performance going on. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say I particularly like this episode for seeing like just major character development between the two characters. Like this is like a huge Elizabeth transforms throughout the episode. Darcy mm-hmm. transforms throughout the episode. If you look at them at the beginning when they are fresh off of their <laughs> uh, proposal and reacting to it to where they are at the end and you're just like, I ship you so hard. I can't even. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, for good reasons, because <laughs> that's where we're going mm-hmm. with the story. But right. Yeah. And I mean, the gardeners are always awesome. They're just a really great couple that we get to know. They're very crofts, you know, like the crofts kind mm-hmm. of like just they just have a really good relationship with each other and it's fun to see them be like we're leaving the kids at home we're going on vacation with our cool niece right <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just yeah this is a great episode it's got the mm-hmm. the the lake scene which is just like you know uh, quintessential pride and prejudice moment now i right. literally said during that scene is this the scene that launched a thousand period dramas <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> essentially, yes. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely seen that scene recreated in several different, like, Austin, not out of, not necessarily adaptations, but like uh, Inspired. variations, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Lost in Austin has yeah. it. I doesn't Bridget Jones have it? Does Bridget Jones no. have it? I I haven't I haven't seen Bridget Jones in years, so they might I, have some sort of like variation it, of it. Like a variation of it of some yeah. sort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's definitely not in the book. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not. Recommendations. Yeah. Did you have one or do you want me to go first or um I've kind of got one. <laughs> I haven't really I did finish Foundation which I already recommended so mm-hmm. but it was really great I love the ending I haven't really watched anything new since two episodes ago <laughs> so right. but because this episode has the Darcy monologue that I used in my video my troll monologues mm-hmm. video I thought maybe I'd recommend my own thing <laughs> this time yeah if you go to Vimeo and look up Maya Adkins, you can find the videos that I've made. I made them back in school when I was doing photography or for photography, but we had a video class and I have recommended one of them before, but I'm going to recommend this time the troll monologues. <laughs> it's <laughs> just a silly thing I made with a bunch of troll dolls and they're all doing monologues from public domain. <laughs> pieces mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and there is a, a darcy and elizabeth 
trolls, or I considered them. They're the, the marriage trolls, so I made them <laughs> right <impression> of trolls. <laughs> Perfect. And I just think it's a fun little thing I made. So if you're interested, go check it out, and you can see the other couple of things that I've done on there. That's cool, yeah. Well, my recommendation this week is going to be a movie. I think we talked about it a little bit last week, but I finally watched Dune, and yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I But I also have a partiality to Den, uh, Denis Villeneuve's movies, just because I anything where I'm like given a lot of like aesthetics and a lot of beautiful imagery, I'm just going to kind of love. And that's kind of <laughs> what this movie was. And I just really loved it. I loved the portrayal of the Harkonnens and... I thought everyone was pretty great in it. And my partner had made a comment about how he really enjoyed the focus on uh, Jessica. And I really didn't think about that, but this version does kind of seem to make her more of the main character in a way, mm-hmm. um, which I really enjoyed. And I enjoyed her portrayal in this. So I'm yeah. excited for the next few movies to come and I want to watch it again. I feel a little bad for kind of, you know, giving it an anti-recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, everyone's got their opinions. <laughs> I just, I really love that director's movies. Like uh, Ex Machina too. is one of my favorites. Um, and the new Blade Runner was great. So I just kind of have a partiality to his work. Yeah, he's really good. It is really beautiful. I, I think it's going away today from <laughs> got HBO. I mean, it'll be back, but I'm kind of, yeah. I wanted to rewatch it one more time just to, you know. Give myself another, get another chance. <laughs> yeah. It's great. But I don't know if I'll get a chance. <laughs> but what do you have to recommend, Pamela? Actually, it's a, I have kind of two recommendations. Uh, one is a book series called The Varkosian Saga by Lois McMaster Bolzold. And it's really like Jane Austen in outer space. It takes place in this planet called Bariar. I always mispronounce it, so Verkosian fans don't come <laughs> at me. Um, and it uh, centers around a society that has uh, settled on that planet, but because of something that happens they, in the outer space world, they get cut off from the rest of the galaxy. So they kind of regress back to this Victorian-esque, Regency-esque oh. society where women are you know, not exactly powerful, uh-huh. where it's military, militaristic. And mm. so there's there's some and it's a lot of comedy of manners sometimes with the later books especially so it's it's a it's a fun series for if a Jane Austen fan wants to dip their toes in science fiction it's a really good series. Wow, cool! cool. I definitely yeah. have to check that out and say the name one more time. Or Cozigan Saga. I'll private message you with the uh, with the <laughs> word because it's a long it's a spelling that you, you'd have to you know. <laughs> And then my film would be Slipper in the Rose, which is a 1976 musical starring Richard Chamberlain and Gemma Traven. Mm. And it's about, um, it's a t- retelling of the Cinderella story through the eyes of the prince. Since we saw this episode, oh. is kind of the eyes of Darcy, seeing the whole mm-hmm. situation through the eyes of Darcy. Uh-huh. I thought this was going to be an interesting one to recommend because it's having Cinderella through the eyes of the prince mostly. And it's, a, it's cool. about his court and about how he is throughout almost the whole situation. That's so cool. I've never heard of that. Yeah, I'm going to check that check out. That That's out. cool. <laughs> We've mentioned it every other episode, but at the end of this series, as a little Christmas present, we have a lot of extra notes that are going to be left over. So we're going to do some of those and we're going to play some of your memories 
So we're looking to get from you all your memories of watching this Pride and Prejudice adaptation. We want to know what your favorite parts are. We want to know who your favorite characters are. We want to know your favorite memory of watching it. Any good memories you have of this version, we would love to hear it because we're going to put together a little something. If you want to go to our website, you can leave us a voice message there or you can record it yourself and send it in or you can just write into us and we will record it for you. Yeah. But yeah, we would love to hear from everyone because, you know, it's just one of those beloved adaptations and we just want to hear your favorite memories of it. Definitely. Yeah. So if you want to email us, you can email us at mannersandmadness at gmail.com. If you want to DM us on Twitter, we're at Manners Madness or on Instagram, we're at Manners and Madness Pod. And the voicemail can be left on our website at mannersandmadness.com. Yes. And it's one minute voicemail. But feel yes. free to leave multiple if you need to, or yeah, like we'll I said, just send in your own, you know, record it on your phone and send it in <laughs> and we'll be able to make it work. Don't worry. But I really want to say thank you so much, Pamela, for being our guest. Yes, um, thank you. It You're was welcome. great having thank you. Thank you for having me. It was, it was fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> I love being able to do a true crossover. And yeah, you've awesome. always been one who was really down to yeah you know, participate in this weird experiment we're doing where we look at both <laughs> artists together mm -hmm. and we really appreciate that <laughs> yes thank you it's a cool experiment <laughs> and it helps keep us from getting burnt out on any on either of them <laughs> right <laughs> agreed <laughs> but next week we'll be doing part five and yeah, we hope you guys are having a good December, good ho holidays, and we're looking forward to talking to you next week. Yes, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Good night. Bye. Bye. <laughs>